You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hello, I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And you're listening to the Australian Finance Podcast. A podcast where we talk about money, finance, investing, and all of that good stuff. We're helping you invest your time and money better one podcast episode at a time. Yes, so please subscribe if you like the series. And don't forget you can find us on social media. We're on all the platforms. Kate, where can people go? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rask Australia. That's R-A-S-K Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter or Owen Rask AU on Instagram. Beware the imitators. People like to copy us. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is wonderful to be back, Owen, for a Q&A today. Yeah, we've got some questions. These are so much fun. I always love the Q&A sessions. Yeah, we haven't done too many this year because we've been distracted with so many other good topics like exchange-traded funds and shares and all sorts of things that have popped up. But Mm -hmm. it's time to open up the inbox and answer a few questions today. Yes, if you do want to send a question to us, Kate and I, on the Australian Finance Podcast... The way to do it is to head to any of the RASC websites and in the menu, there is ask a question. Click that. It takes you through a form. You select the Australian Finance Podcast. There will also be a link in the show notes. Uh, Very simple. Ask a question and hopefully we can answer it on the show. Just an extra disclaimer. It's important, Kate. What we like to say is that any of the information that is delivered in this podcast is strictly general financial information only. Because we don't know personal circumstances, because we don't know your goals, your objectives, we simply cannot offer personal advice, personalized advice. So the way to go is to speak to a financial planner who can do that for you. And if we do mention things like ETFs or shares, just remember that some of those things will have a PDS, a product disclosure statement. Go and check that out. 
I just treat the podcast, to be honest, Kate, as more educational. Yeah. You know, absolutely. don't just act on what we say. We're yeah. just two random people talking to a microphone, finding stuff on the internet. So. Yeah, that's it. So, um, you know, we've, we've done a lot of these things before, but um, it's our two cents. And one of the things that we encourage you to do, by the way, when you do write into us is give us a fun name. Give us a fun name because it just illustrates that, you know, we're not trying to be hold ourselves out as giving everyone the best piece of advice for them right now. What we're just trying to do is just engage the conversation. and Yeah, and share a few thoughts and resources we find on different questions. So we might not answer the question exactly, but we'll have a bit of a conversation about it and maybe share some resources where you can actually do a bit more digging if this is something that interests you. Yeah. Today, we're talking about challenger banks. Retiring without a home, can it be done? Why not bonds, question mark? An Irish ETF, uh, ETFs and tax, and the problem that everyone gets stuck with, Kate, which is? Broker analysis paralysis. Yes. Learning about all the different brokers you could choose to buy your ETFs and shares with, but getting stuck on that final step of which broker do I go with? Because Mm. there's a lot now. Mm. Amen, sister. Um, So... Why don't we get stuck into it? Uh, E. Scrooge and Tony Keane both asked about our thoughts on challenger banks with high rates of interest, like term deposits. We recently did an episode on term deposits and how they're different to savings accounts, which we also did an episode on, which will be very popular. So if you are looking for term deposits and how to think about them, go back and have a look at that. Kate, what's the crux of this question? Yeah, so... I think what the person's asking is that there's a new bank on the scene, Judo Bank, Mm -hmm. or any other insert new bank here, that is offering slightly different products, slightly different rates, maybe a higher rate to attract new customers. And just is that still a, a safe option to go with? And the first thing I always look at when I'm looking at using a new Neo Bank or anything like that is whether it's an authorized deposit taking institution. ADI. ADI. It is not a disease, but it is on the APRA, the Government Banking Regulators website. So go and have a look there. there. Yeah, well. I like it, yeah. You want to make sure you do have an ADI when it comes to banking. So going on to the Government Regulators website, APRA. I've put, I'll put the show notes. Link in the show notes. <laughs> I yeah. can't even talk today. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, so make sure it's on there. In the case of Judo Bank, it is. And that means that your money is guaranteed up to $250,000 by the government under the financial claims scheme. So if something goes wrong to that financial institution, if it is an ADI, your money is protected up to $250,000. And that's protected by the government. So it's not like insurance or something like that. It's actually the government that would step in. And that's important for many reasons. One is it means you feel secure. It prevents what that old school thing is a run on the banks when everyone just is like panic and they get their money out. It stops that kind of thing happening. But the other thing that it does is that if you're on that list, if you're a bank that's on that list, it forces you to be intensely regulated. Yeah, because the government wants our banking system to be secure. We talked about the four pillars policy recently when we did our CBA share review episode, but it is important that our banking system is reliable and regulated so consumers have confidence. So you and I can put money in a savings account or Mm -hmm. a term deposit and feel really comfortable doing so. And we don't feel like we need to pull the money out and uh, dig a hole in the backyard and bury it. Yeah. So judo fits the bill. So in that case, so what we're talking about is judo as a term deposit issuing bank. And it fits the bill. So it's regulated. It's got everything that you would expect. Yeah. And they're a bank focused on 
small, medium businesses. So yeah. they don't actually do personal banking. Most of what they do is focused on lending to small businesses, but they offer term deposits for retail consumers like you and I. Yeah. So- and their rates are slightly higher than some of the ones we explored in our term deposit episode the other week, but not too much. Mm. If you... um. Also, interest rates are going up, so uh, keep that in mind. But one of the things to, I guess, uh, keep in mind is that uh, the company is also on the stock exchange, just like most of the banks. So you can actually go and look at the company itself. and uh, Over a billion dollar market cap. Yeah. So that sounds like a lot of money, but it's actually a very small company in the scheme of banks in Australia. Um, It wouldn't be in the top five, for example. But uh, you can go and look at its financials and what it's working on and see if, you know, you, you like the business that way. I haven't actually had a look at it. One of the things that I will uh, call out is if you have, as a business owner, you've used Judo as a bank, please let us know. Please let me know in particular because I'm always on the lookout for good banks that we can use or that we can talk about on the Australian Business Podcast. So if you're a business owner, please uh, let me know if you use Judo Bank and what you like about it and how it compared. I just ended up going with NAB for yep. the business. There's no recommendation. I just ended up going with them because they seem to make the most sense. Um so Judo, nothing wrong with it from a term deposit perspective. Um, it's on the stock exchange, so you can go and check out what it does. And it's regulated, so always check, as Kate says. Like, don't just be signing up for something without checking that, that yeah. list. And a lot of the other neobanks like Zinja and Vault that tried to play in Australia in the last few years have folded. 8,600 was bought out. Yep. Um, up is now part of Bendigo. So uh, not many of the neobanks have uh, survived on their own, which is unfortunate, but they had very clear processes for when they did close for customers to take their money out. So that mm. was very orderly. They worked with the regulator to do so. So it was a very smooth process for customers, apart from the fact that you would just have to change your direct debits to another bank account. Yeah. I also noticed that when you, you talk about the, I think it's the CEO or the founder of Judo, he did six master's degrees. There's two MBAs. Oh, he's a fascinating guy. Like if you want to do a case study on a CEO and just learn more about it, look at Joseph Healy, the co-founder of Judo Bank. Fascinating. Addicted to education. Like yeah, he's right. done so many courses all around the world. He's got a lot of banking experience and he's written books about banking. Uh, one is Breaking the Banks. I've got that on the bookshelf at home. I got sent a copy, but I haven't read it yet. Um, but he's quite an interesting guy. I've heard him speak um, at, at an event once. But yeah, if you're interested in learning more, um, hmm. it's probably interesting to have a look at his history. There was a big AFR write-up on his history as well. This is a quote. As he built judo, Healy also completed his sixth master's degree. He has two MBAs in neuroscience and psychology from King's College London. Wow. Um and he says, this is a direct quote from him, it says, education is a source of competitive advantage. I believe that. That's that's great. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's if you're listening to this, uh, Joseph, please come on the podcast. Uh, it be a fascinating conversation. So, Kate, that's basically it for that question. Money Mermaid says, this is a really, really contentious one. We're not going to have an exact answer, by the way, but this is a really, really topical one. Is it okay to retire without owning a home? What a question. It is a big question and presumably one that a lot of Australians think about because a lot of Australians don't own a home and a lot of Australians do retire without owning a home and have to rent or find other housing arrangements or live with children. Yeah. Uh, so where do you even start? Like this is, I say that there's basically a few times in your life when you really should get financial planning advice. Like It's like a requirement. I'll probably even do it, to be honest. 
uh, is right around the time of retirement, just before, typically. Like you want to maybe do it a few years out so you know what levers you can pull. And then maybe when you retire as well, because making a decision like this is such a big decision. Um, there are people out there who, many of us that listen to this, we think, do we have to retire with a house because it's so expensive? And um, the reality is there are different rules that apply. For example, like the pension will kick in at certain levels depending on whether you own a home or whether you do not own a home. If you own a home, it's different, like it's harder to get. If you uh, if you don't own a home, you're going to get it sooner. And that's just simply because in retirement, you're probably going to have rent uh, if you don't own your home outright. So it's a massive you know, cost. But the other side of it is a lot of people end up paying off their home and they have very low super balances because they just put it all on the mortgage and focus on this one asset. But then they get to retirement and they're like, oh, well, actually, I don't have any passive income, which is what we want to build up. Yeah. And then the government encourages you to sell the large family home and downsize um, or you have to do something like a reverse mortgage, which a lot of retirees don't want to do because they, they want to pass that house down to their kids yeah so reverse mortgage just fyi is when you have a house with no mortgage and you find one of these providers and you slowly draw an income off the value of the house and then they have a mortgage over the house just the opposite of what most people know as a mortgage yeah i think the main thing is that you're going to need to live somewhere but that could look very different it could be a tiny house it could Mm. be living in a camper van it could be uh in aged care anything like that but you want to think decades ahead if you can about what that's going to look like for you and make sure you start planning the numbers for that because if you are choosing to rent or do something else you're going to need some sort of cash flow to pay for that so Mm. whether you own a house or don't it's really important to sit down and think about the numbers and whether you're going to be able to afford it yeah actually just as a personal anecdote here um that's really uh, interesting what you said there Kate. it's a personal anecdote here Uh, i was chatting someone recently and their parents are thinking of selling and they've got a family home, which is, you know, it's on a slightly sloping block. It's a nice house, suburb type thing. Um, it's, you know, probably worth, I'd say, $1.2 million. And they've got enough money in super that they can draw on super until they'll eventually have a pension, right? But they're thinking, well, maybe the maintenance is getting too much. Like, they've got to mow the lawns, they've got to do the gutters for the leaves, they've got to weed and all that sort of stuff. And they, they can do it now, but what about in five years? So they're thinking, well, why don't we downsize now? And so they're very fortunate to be in a position where they already have a wonderful house. It's probably going to go up in value over the next 10 years. My advice to them would be don't force yourself, don't rush yourself into doing that because it actually costs a lot of money to sell, find a new place. Even if you go and buy a low maintenance new place, it might be a unit. Well, then the value of that is probably not going to go up as quick as the house that you have right now. But let's imagine you don't have that. A lot of people then think, well, I need to get a nice family home for retirement. Well, maybe the other side of the coin is maybe you just go straight to unit, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you don't try and if you're in your 40s and 50s and you're worried about this, maybe you go straight to unit. It might not. Maybe you don't need that spare bedroom. Maybe you don't need the spare bedroom. Maybe you don't need the garden. Maybe you don't need all that. You can buy something cheaper. It's very easy to maintain and that will save you in 10 or 20 years. Uh, And it's probably easier to get your foot in the door. Uh, there are a lot of people listening to this who might have single income families, you know, a few kids that they're finishing up putting through school and those types of things. It's bloody tough to think about going into retirement without a home when it's the white picket fence, the golden retriever, and, you know, uh, that Australian dream. 
by the way, you've got a Grudel, so I'm halfway there, and a flat picket fence. So, um, Owen's accumulating a zoo worth of animals at his yeah, place. Well, I need to. I still want to get a deer. Um, so uh, I would just say, so this is what I would say, is if you can afford something like I just described, absolutely. The other thing that I would probably say is a lot of people focus on property as their primary growth driver and retirement source of income. Think outside of that. Think index funds. Think superannuation. To be honest, I think these are better ways to retire because you have flexibility, because they're going to pay you fully frank dividends. And hey, in retirement, you got a zero tax environment, so you get fully frank dividends credited to your name. Yeah. As my mom always says, you can't sell the bathroom off if you need a bit of money. So oh, there's a quite a few that. costs around property. So yeah, I just think think it all through. Your retirement doesn't have to look like the person next door's to you. Retirement, you can come up with a plan that works for you and seek professional advice as well yep. when making such a big decision. Yeah, don't rely on. I would say don't rely on the um, the mortgage broker the buyer's advocate or someone like that for this type of advice, we're talking proper advice. You can go through your superannuation fund, say if you're with Australian Super or one of the big super funds, they will have a half an hour free consultation where you can get to know different financial advisors or you can use any of the other websites that we've mentioned in the past, like the Independent Financial Advisors website or FPA, Financial Planning Association, find an advisor near you. I think that's okay. the way to go. Because even though, so what, sorry, one final thing, even though it might cost you five grand to get the advice and you think, shit, I've only got, you know, hundred grand super or something like this it'll pay for itself it will pay for itself and you don't have to take all their recommendations on board but at least you know what the rules are and you can ask the questions go loaded with check questions yeah yeah the the rules for retirement and super are a lot more complicated than the stuff we talk about on the podcast yeah definitely someone you get advice for they give you this chart sorry kate i know we want to move on but they give you this chart when you're in retirement when you're preparing for retirement that shows like the day that you hit retirement and then it's like a bar chart or a column chart, sorry. And then that slowly declines because you start to use up all of your assets for living. And then what happens is there's another chart that like rises slowly. And that's the pension kicking in as your assets fall, the pension goes up. I don't really like those charts because they're based on today's rules around pensions, which constantly change. But you'll get a sense of, one, how much you can afford to spend in retirement. And two, if you save X dollars today, what difference that will have in Y years. So, worth it. Yeah. Cool. Bippity, boppity. Yep. But no boo. No. says, why not bonds? Yeah. So, the question (laughs) was um, just about bonds, thinking about them in uh, as you go later in life. And Owen mentioned in the past that he would probably go with something else because of interest rates. So, the question was, why not bonds? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, and you may be a RASCOR member, so you may already know this. Um, so basically, what happens is traditionally bonds, Kate, you know this, bonds should go in the other way to stocks at certain times. So when the stock market falls, a la 2022, bonds should go up, but they didn't. They also fell. So this is quite rare, but it happens. And the reason that bonds fell is because interest rates have kept going up. And so if you think about bonds and interest rates, they move in the opposite direction. So the the, the question from bippity-boppity here was basically, why not bonds? Well, there's your answer. Because interest rates have gone up, bonds have fallen. Now, the question basically says, that doesn't it mean that as interest rates go up, bonds will start paying more income? And the answer is yes. 
Okay. That's that's good. So in the future, you'll be getting more what we call coupons. They're like dividends every year. But the problem that you have is if you invest in like say the Vanguard ETFs that are bond ETFs, they're at, at, or even the IAF ETF, which is the most popular bond ETF in Australia. If you invest in that ETF today, you're getting bonds from the last say five years. You're not getting the bonds issued today. You might get some, but it's going to be a very small percentage. So what happens is it's kind of like a snake digesting something. When you invest today, you're at the snake's mouth, and then you have to wait for all those old bonds to pass through it uh, before you get the, the higher yields. So what happens is the bonds portfolio will fall because new interest rates are better than what's in the bond portfolio. But eventually, that bond portfolio will slowly get rid of all those low-yielding bonds, and the new bonds will come in, and they'll be better. And that's basically why bond ETFs fall. About two years ago, I'm going to guess off the top of my head, it was we told our members to get out of the bond ETFs and look for other things. So that would be offset accounts. At the time, it was term deposits. I said, just put your money in a term deposit, you'll be better off. Um, Because a term deposit doesn't have that risk. Yeah. And when we've been looking at term deposits recently, we've found some that are around 4% for 12 months. So if you think about that, right? So a bond, this is a good example. A bond portfolio, say, I don't know, a year ago, was paying an effective interest rate of, say, off the top of my head, say 2%, right? Now, that bond portfolio still had bonds in there that were like five years old, three years old. So they're still in there today, right? Now, if you think about that, you can't have a bond portfolio that's 2% and a term deposit that you can just go and buy today for 4%. So the bond portfolio is worth less. So that's why they fall. And so you'd be better off, you'd still be better off in a bond, in a term deposit or offset account until interest rates start to go the other way. Um, I just had a conversation before that was quite technical, Kate, before we hit record on this episode about things that aren't bonds but are somewhere in between. And they're really interesting right now. That's on the Investors Podcast and it's super technical, so I don't want to bore everyone with it today. (laughs) But um, they're really interesting. So what I would say is bonds... Yes, are important, but also bonds are in a portfolio. Like you, they're definitely for some, for a lot of investors, they will be things that you think of later in life. So, forties maybe you start to think about them. Fifties it starts to become more important. Still not like a big part of the portfolio. Then sixties is where you think, okay, now I'm looking at retirement. What are my options? And you should definitely be thinking about them then. But for most people that are in the accumulation phase. You can go to cash, you can put money in your offset account, so on and so forth. Yeah, or term deposits. They're term all, deposit, yeah. yeah. Term deposit, There's yeah. quite a lot of options at the moment because... Interest rates have gone up. Yeah. yeah. So if you're a saver and you've got that cash, there's a lot of options for you. If you have a mortgage and your variable rate is going up, that's a bit tougher. Yes, absolutely. Do you want to ask the next one? All right. The next question is accident from Accidentally Irish. What happens when you realize you own an internationally domiciled ETF? And the person who wrote in about this question had listened to our mini-series about researching your ETF. And one of the things we raised on that mini-series was finding out where that ETF is domiciled. Usually, for most of the ETFs we talked about, it was in Australia. So it was very simple with the tax. Mm -hmm. But some of the ETFs we mentioned were domiciled in the US. Mm -hmm. Now, this person was asking about one that they discovered after doing this was domiciled in Ireland. Presumably, they had purchased this on a different stock exchange, probably the London Stock Exchange, to end up with this ETF. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So basically what happens, just so you know, is that a lot of these big fund managers, so BlackRock, uh, in this case, or iShares, uh, Spider, SPDR, uh, Vanguard, what they'll do is instead of having a different ETF in every country, is they'll have one big ETF that sits somewhere, usually the United States, and then all the little funds, all the little ETFs around the world just put their money into that ETF. So uh, a good example of this is the IVV ETF, which we spoke about. That's an ETF that inside of it just holds the US ETF. The only reason is so that the only reason that the IVV ETFs exist in Australia is because then it can create an Australia tax domiciled ETF. And all it does is it just invests straight in the US version, right? Now this thing, and we talked about this before, this ETF that this person's talking about, they it looks like they would have bought it in London, but it's a US ETF that invests in Australia. So like multiple layers of who knows what's going <laughs> on, right? This is very common. We looked on the, the website, it looked like there's about 20 different countries from which you could invest in this ETF. But really, it just ended up investing in Aussie shares. So there are so many ways that this, this the end answer to this question could go, and we just don't have um, the expertise or the, um, the knowledge of the situation. But basically what it boils down to is if it's a very small amount of money and you're an Australian tax resident and you plan to be here for a long time, it would make sense to have an Australian portfolio because for tax reasons, this thing would just be complicated. Like I wouldn't know one accountant who understands the Irish tax law going into the United States that could then be interpreted in Australia. Yeah, I did ask a couple of accountants and they said they deal with US domiciled ETFs for clients, but they hadn't heard of an Irish domiciled ETF. So you'd probably have to find an accountant if you did keep growing that position that could deal with international tax law. Yeah. And it would be very, like the way the tax works in, in for, for US ETFs, like say the VTS ETF is a really good one here in Australia. That's the, the Vanguard Total US Shares ETF. It's one of the most popular in Australia. That's a US domiciled tax ETF. And the rules are very clear. You fill out your WA-BEN form, that reduces the withholding tax. And then the tax that you pay in the United States, you basically get it credit for, credited for here in Australia. But it's complicated. So just be mindful that um, you want to make your life simple. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess the biggest thing we want to get through here is that even if we can't answer this question, our biggest tip for investors is to keep things as simple as possible and not overcomplicate your investing plan. And if this is overcomplicating it, if it's stressing it out, well, maybe there's some other options for you. Yeah. Sleep at night factor has got to be one of the most important things when it comes to investing. But hey, I will say, accidentally Irish, I would say awesome that you actually went and you found out what this thing was that you invested in. You obviously listened to our ETF investing mini series. And you thought, hold on a second, I followed all the steps. Um, why am I invested in this Irish ETF? Good on you for figuring that out because you don't want to wait till retirement and then go, oh gosh, I've got to sell this thing. It's going to be huge <laughs> tax. I've been added to this thing my whole life. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, figure out where you want your tax position to be, get expert tax advice um, and just keep it simple. It's pretty simple there. Um, ETF Alplates says... How much of the ETF tax details flow through to the ETA MyGov, uh, ETA, the ATO MyGov portal? How much of the tax info? 
Yeah, so quite a lot of the information flows through to the ATO's MyGov tax portal for people doing it themselves now, your your bank interest details, as long as you've provided your tax file number so they can track you down, um, your ETFs, uh, share dividends and things like that. Yep, superannuation will be in there. Yeah, I, I think I would say that it's really important that you check all this yourself or get your accountant to check it because... Um, it's still a work in progress. It might not include everything and it's your responsibility to make sure it has everything there. Mm-hmm. Did you know, fun fact, just completely off topic here, that the ATO deals with something like 2 million um, attempted breaches every month wow. to the to these accounts. So it's very, com- we have a complicated tax system. Like it is hard to get it right. Yeah. But what I say is like people want access to this stuff. This is like the centralized hub for all of your finances. So um, that's just really interesting. But okay, so with this, not all of your information will flow through. Why? Because there are certain things that the ATO won't work out. Because for example, let's say you have an ETF, like let's say the FANG ETF from GlobalX. Inside of the ETF is like 10 stocks. And that goes up and down and it's US companies. So you're going to get some US tax income that goes into that ETF you're going to get some capital gains when the FANG ETF buys and sells. And you're also going to get, you know, currency movements and all that sort of stuff. So they, they will be like, okay, there was this amount of foreign income that's like passed back through to you. That's on your little statement that you get at the end of the year from the ETF provider. And then there'll be the income line and then there'll be like this line. Okay, so that's all of that taken care of. That might flow through to the ATO. But what about if you bought the the... Uh, the ETF at ten dollars and you sold it for twenty. That the ETF provider doesn't necessarily know that. That's on you. So you need it. That's a capital gain that you need to report. So you've also got to factor that into the calculation. And so that's where things like ShareSite, which is a a software tool that you can get and you can just import all of your um, tax information and it calculates it for ETFs as well. Um, that will kind of collate all of that information. Yeah, and especially if you've sold something during the year, working out yeah. that sort of stuff, even if it's a capital loss and yep. things like that, and which parcels match up with which, that's usually when you want to speak to an accountant because it does become a bit more complicated and it won't automatically fro- flow through. Also, I've si- like last year, one of my managed fund distributions didn't definitely didn't flow into the system because my accountant raised that. Um, and the more brokerage accounts you have and the more different things you have that are flowing into the ATO system, I think the harder it is for the system to get it right. And so I found that um, what the ATO said versus what was in reality was quite different for me last year. Yeah. Uh, Kate's shared on the show recently uh, that what she does with ShareSite is you can can get emails from your brokerage account that automatically get forwarded to ShareSite through a unique email address and that will, they'll read that email basically. But most of the big brokers in Australia integrate natively with ShareSite. So if you have a brokerage account, you can link that to your ShareSite account. It automatically reads it. And then you just have to log in, say, every few months and say, yes, I received this dividend. Yes, I received this. And you just click a button and it goes, yes, I sold at this time. Yes. And um, that's basically the way that works. And yeah. There's no other tool like it in Australia, so they've got a definite monopoly on the market, but it's worth the money, I think. Yeah, I use those share site reports for income tax and capital gains tax for my, give them to my accountant as, alongside yeah. everything else, but that does make it a bit easier for them, especially if they're uh, charging you more because you have ETFs and managed funds. Because some accountants, once you start 
complicating your financial picture. You're not just a vanilla nine to five with a couple of deductions anymore. Once you start adding investments and you've got capital gains and dividends, they start charging you a bit more. Yeah. Uh, this there's another part of this question which says how the question was how to do the tax return paperwork for your ETFs, but then the second statement was my accountant says my investments are annoying to do, so I need to learn. <laughs> um, I'd say get a new accountant. Yeah, someone that deals with investors. Yeah, so a lot of accountants like it when it's just really cookie cutter. Like, okay, you got PAYG, you added some money to super, you made some donations, boom, done, tax return done. Like. Get an accountant that appreciates that you are someone that wants to accumulate wealth and they're willing to give you good advice. Um, the, this type of stuff is not difficult. The ShareSite will save your accountant a lot of money. So it's worth, that's why I say it's pretty good money well spent. So you can track your, as Kate does, you can track your performance, so you can track your tax, you can do all that. Uh, and just hand that to the accountant. Um, and you can you obviously still need to double check everything, of course. But it's one of those things where it's going to save the $200 an hour accountant time to get this thing. And you can get, log in and check it for yourself. You can say, oh, how well have I done at investing? Oh, geez, that was a really bad one. Um, <laughs> and so on and so forth. So it's really And you can also check you've received the dividends and distributions you were supposed to receive because it yep. says this is what you should have received on this date. And you can go, oh, I didn't actually receive that. And then you log into your share registry to find out you haven't provided your bank details. So yeah. it's always good to have something else in your corner if you do forget something like that. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't set up computer share or link market services, you haven't got your, your boardroom, if you haven't got your account sorted in those websites, then mm. you're going to notice a mismatch and you might be losing money. Yeah. It's also share sites a good reminder to me. Sometimes if I get a slightly lower dividend in my bank account than what share sites said, it often means I forgot to provide my tax file number and there was withholding tax. So that is a good reminder as well. Good point. Um, yeah, just something something else there to check yourself because it's hard to keep on top of everything sometimes. Absolutely it is, Kate. Okay, the final question, which is the one of the, the favorites that we get on the show, which is choosing a broker. You have talked so much about brokers, but I am still confused. I understand the cost to buy on the ASX. However, all the different ways they quote their cost for buying on the US market is confusing me. And therefore, I can't pick a broker and it's delaying me doing anything. Yeah. So first thing I would say is if you understand the ASX, that's probably where you want to start when you're investing because most of the ETFs we talk about, most of the shares are available on the Australian Stock Exchange. So you just can pick a simple broker to start with. I wouldn't overcomplicate it if you're brand new to investing by starting off with a US brokerage account. Like That's something you can add later if it's necessary, but... For a lot of investors, you can just start with one that offers you the right solution in Australia and make sure that works for you before thinking about the US market. Yep. So I agree. You can do most of what you need to do in Australia on the ASX. They're the really simple ones to set up. When it comes to the US, things get a little bit more complicated because it depends on what the ETF, uh, what the uh, provider, the brokerage provider wants to do in terms of how they set up their their models. So some of them make money from when you transfer money across, like you change from AUD to USD to buy the shares of Google that you want to buy or whatever. Um, and then others are like, well, we'll charge brokerage when you do make that trade on Google in the United States. Whereas others are like, well, we'll just make money when you transfer and we won't charge you for Google, if yep. that makes sense. And some things are quoted in basis points and some things are quoted in percentage of that. So it becomes more confusing. Yeah, so let's, let's break down this one because I think this is the big, big thing that people don't understand. 
so stake i'll use stake as an example stake charges you when you transfer money from aud to usd and they make around about zero they make 70 basis points that means 0 0.70 if i'm not mistaken and what that means is it doesn't matter what the currency is the current the australian dollar to us dollar exchange could be level like it could be one dollar it could be 90 cents it could be 60 cents they're still taking 0 0.7 that doesn't matter but then say perla Perla makes a percentage. So they quote in percentages of the amount of money that you want to transfer. Stakes numbering is actually more common in the FX industry. But it's important to keep in mind that as the Australian dollar falls, so the Australian dollar has fallen a long way, it's like in the 60s now. What that means is if you transfer at a fixed 0 0.7 in this case, I think zero, uh, superhero is similar, self-wealth 0.6, um, if you do that, then the percentage is actually higher, right? Because it's a higher percentage of what you're actually transferring. Now, if the currency goes the other way, if the currency goes up, our currency goes up, say towards a dollar, it's like 95 cents, then the fixed amount makes more sense because you're paying, it's less of the overall currency. Um, and this is something that everyone I think should be aware of. If you're transferring money into US dollars, um, if it's a fixed basis points or zero point whatever, at a lower currency, it's a bigger slice of that. Whereas if it's expressed in percentages, like zero point, I don't know, 0 0.5%, I don't know who does that, if anyone does that. But if you do that, it's consistent. Um, and so, and there's another thing that brokers do, just to confuse everyone yet again, is some brokers charge in US dollars, their brokerage, and some charge in Aussie dollars, their brokerage. So even if you're buying US shares. Um, the more transparent, the better is what I would say. Um, full disclosure, Perla is a long-term sponsor of the Australian Finance Podcast and SelfWealth is a long-term sponsor of the Australian Investors Podcast. You don't need to go with either of them just because we mention them. Um, we don't get paid for mentioning them either. So just keep that in mind. But I would say that, yeah, if you're transferring money into currencies and the that's the way the broker makes money. Don't do it that often. I don't know, Kate, if I made any sense there, but yeah. Yeah, I think you've got to, you've got to compare depending on how much you're planning to transact, whether it's good to just transfer a lump sum into US dollars and use something that's a zero cost broker yep. to make those transactions and you just get stung that one time on the currency transaction. Or if you're doing yep. it on a regular basis, it might be better to use something with a lower cost to move your Australian to US dollars, but then you might have to pay a brokerage fee. Yeah. I honestly prefer very clean pricing. Very like, this is what we make. Um, especially when it comes to people that are starting out. Like if you're a broker and you're targeting people that don't know much about investing and brokerage accounts, make it easy for everyone to understand. Don't be, you know, using terminology that people... Like even basis points, like no one in reality speaks like basis points. Anyway, um, I think like all of the brokers that we mentioned there, by the way, you could go, could go on your shortlist. You could go and compare the different options. Um, and just, I would say pick one. <laughs> yeah, but but start, find find one that's right for you in Australia first before yeah, you definitely. get 
um, overcomplicate it. So it's there's a lot of great options that make it really simple in Australia. I think the pricing is very transparent because you're just operating in Australian dollars, so it makes it simpler to yep. get started. And if you want to add US investing on down the track, then you can find an option that works for you. But don't let the confusion of the currency transactions and stuff like that stop you from investing in Australia. Yeah, absolutely not. Get get started with Aussie ETFs, Aussie shares, whatever you want to do. Give it a crack. Uh, start small. I, uh, and then when it comes to US, you know what? Test driving. I've got a, you know, to be honest, I've got a stake account with no money in it. I've got a Perler account. I don't have a superhero, although I think I've downloaded the app. I've got a, got a self-wealth account. I've got a Comsec account. That international one sucks, to be honest. Um, I've used CMC Markets in the past. And so, like, I, and I know you've done even more than that. Give them a crack. You know, if it's not right for you, it's not right for you. Yeah, if you're just testing with a small amount of money, then you can figure out what works for you. Yeah, it's like when we go to the shelf and we, we think Heinz baked beans or SPC. And it's like we're making a decision that we have to eat Heinz for the rest of our lives. You don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> you can just go and get something else next time. So, great. Like, wonderful to see that you are um, focusing on this. I think the name of the, the questioner was don't give up. Um, g- great to see that you're giving it a crack and you want to research and research and research. Um, start small. Yeah. It's okay. Start small. Keep it simple, but just do it. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. Um, so, great. And great uh, wisdom there, Kate, just to start on the Aussie stock exchange. You can do I, – I believe, like, all of the ETFs that we recommend, for example um, – uh, on the ASX. You don't need an international brokerage account for that. So, yeah. Um, and that's the challenge. There's so many different options nowadays that it makes it even harder to get started because there are so many choices and you want to yeah. feel like you're doing everything right. Because I know a lot of us, when we start investing, we want to feel like we've got all of our ducks in the row and we're all ready to go. But mm. in all honesty, like most of us just figure it out by putting one toe in the water and then the next one and then feeling feeling our way through it and learning as we go. So... Yeah, I um like it's 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 quite funny actually. Like a lot of um a lot of the fellas, I know you hear me when I say this. We just kind of dive in and we just go, yeah, we'll go and give it a crack. Um, and the the ladies tend to be a bit more discerning and like, oh, but what about this thing and what about that one? Um, and I think both approaches are great, <laughs> and both approaches have their pitfalls, obviously. Yeah, you kind of find a want to find something in the middle. Yeah, you don't want to have the wanting to be have a perfect plan yep. to stop you from getting started. But also you don't want to go straight into the deep end, put all your money in one speculative company and lose it and get burnt off investing. And then think and it's then, like gambling. Yes. So finding a, a healthy balance in the middle where you've done some education, you understand the basics, you've just picked an account, you've tested a few, and you've just gotten started with something very safe and simple to begin with is is a good way to go. Absolutely it is. Um and great. Yeah, you're thinking about investing during a very volatile time. And that's great. You know, that's so good. Uh, it's great to know more people are thinking like that nowadays, which is wonderful. Yeah. So we've covered quite a bit today, Owen. We've, we've talked about Challenger or Neobanks. We've talked about retiring without a home and getting advice on that big decision there. We've mm-hmm. talked about bonds versus your other options like term Great deposits, name. offset accounts, and high interest savings accounts, which we have been discussing quite a bit on the podcast. We've discussed internationally domiciled ETFs and just keeping life a bit more simple. 
uh, ETF tax details and what flows into the ATO pre-fill. Really, you just need to check that for yourself as mm-hmm. well. And if your accountant doesn't support the fact that you're investing, I would find someone that does because there are a lot of accountants that understand how ETF distribution statements work and manage funds. You might have to pay a little bit more, but they know how to do it. Yeah, shop around. And getting over broker analysis paralysis, starting with Australia, finding an option that works for you, you're allowed to open multiple brokerage accounts. You can have a try and figure out what works, but just keep it simple and get started. Yep. And then the next analysis paralysis is what shares and what ETFs do you buy? Same rules apply. Start very, very small um, and give it a crack. Cool. Wonderful. So if people want to add questions for our next Q&A, we might slide in one before the end of the year, before we go on holidays. We'll see how we go. Mm -hmm. Um, We've Mm -hmm. got a link in the show notes with a little form that you can fill in. We've uh, tried to retire the podcast inbox because it was a little bit too difficult to handle. So there's a type form link in the show notes. So you can send questions our way. The better your question name, the more attention it'll get <laughs> yeah. from Owen because he he likes shiny my, things. My my favorite part is the names that you get you come up with. Hence the bibbity bobbity boo from Cinderella. Uh, that's definitely at the oh, top of my list. Owen. Oh. Um, yeah, so we're complete nerds here, so we get excited about yeah, small we, things. We definitely get excited about things. There we go. Have so you if, been watching Disney movies on the weekend, Owen? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I, I got to admit, I love Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. So um, please send your questions in. We'd love to hear from you. And Kate, I think I can drop this. We are having an event in Melbourne, December 9th. That's a Friday night, which means the there will be drinks. There'll be food. There'll be Owen. There'll be some great <laughs> entertainment. And we would love to have you down uh, in Melbourne if you're not from here. Uh, there will be only limited tickets, just FYI. I mean, hopefully there's a few hundred, but, um, you know, just make, if you are interested in coming to Melbourne, uh, into the CBD, or will be in the CBD at the State Library, December 9th in the evening, after work, come down, meet a heap of people, meet some great guests that have been on the show as well. And will the link to buy tickets be in the show notes? Depends. When's this episode going live? Have I Next got a few Friday? days? Uh, yes, we we we're recording this uh, early November. Yes, I will put the link in the show notes to the to the event page. Um, tickets will be very cheap, like around thirty or forty bucks. That'll include drinks, um, or at least a few drinks, and it will include some canapes and those types of things. We'll be doing heaps of giveaways. It'll be so much fun. You know, we were charged after after FinFest. And it's not going to be a FinFest style of thing. We can't uh, put that on. The guys at Equity Mates can do that best. But we will be having heaps of fun. So please come on down. End of the year. It's been a long few years. We would love to meet you in person if we haven't already. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Wonderful. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au.
Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.